So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this past year, did you ever drive south on I-25 by Mile High Stadium and see the sign over the road that gave the total number of deaths, traffic deaths in the year, kind of tallying up throughout the year? And it usually came with a message like, don't text and drive, you know, that text can wait. Well, this is a sober reminder, driving down I-25, because all 615 of those that I saw at least last week, um, are representing a person, a life, and a family that was influenced. And back at the first week of this year in January, um, somebody I know was added onto that sign as one of the people. Um, one of my tenants, Gil, um, was driving to work on January 9th and went up to the mountains. It was a snowy day, and he slipped off the road, and he didn't make it. And just these moments, right, in life, I actually was at his house the day before um, because his roommate bought a house and was moving out, so I was checking him out and checking in with Gil, all these, you know, just life things and changes. And then the next day, um, I'm actually driving on the highway, and I got a call from the state patrol, and they're like, is this your house address? Do you own this place? Do you know this guy? And I was like, yes, yes. I, they asked, do you know his parents? Do you know anything about them? It's like, no. And um, just this fascinating thing that he left work, left for work that morning and then didn't come home. Man, and I think about Gil's parents. Um, they live down in San Antonio, Texas. I did know that. And uh, the police went to their door to tell them in person. And just what a hard news that was. And then course, I'm talking on the phone with Gil's dad, um, and they immediately hop in the car and drive up to Colorado. But I just remember the mixture of sadness and anger in his dad's voice as we were talking and figuring things out. And it's just those moments where his dad was just trying to grasp onto something to blame, something to explain the situation, something to help him understand what just happened. You know, and he just kept saying over and over, you know, I... I told Gil so many times, you need a better car. If you're going to be driving in the mountains, you need a better car. And, you know, it's that 
dad's advice to his grown son, just trying to influence and influence him. But his dad was just trying to grasp onto something, right? And just thinking about that moment, it was just words because he, it was just words and looking back and remembering. And I can only imagine how Gil and his dad probably interacted around that when his dad say, you need to get a different car. And Gil probably said, dad, don't be ridiculous. You know, I got this. I'm, it's under, I, I'm okay. And his dad probably thinking, ah, I don't want to be ridiculous. I don't want to push too hard. I don't want to take action and like, you know, make my son do something. But it's these moments that when we look back, those ridiculous things take on a different meaning when we look back. Well, for many years, um, we've been choosing the word of the year at this time, the Sunday after Christmas, and um, it started back in 2009. Some of you may remember when 2009 was just simply the theme of, whoa, can we survive? And so because of that, we wanted the nice rhyming word for 2010, thrive. So we just started making these words of a year back then. And this past year, we did what's actually a phrase, not a word, I know, but extending the reach. That was our word for 2017. And so we had hoped to extend the reach, to reach out to more people, to extend God's love to more people, and to engage more people with God. So this past year, lots of great things happened. Um, The app, we had just gotten that, and so this past year, we've really used the app. We developed the daily practice, which if you've used the daily practice, is just a way to daily engage with Scripture and the prayer. Um, Also this year, Thinking about the kids um, and the vacation Bible school, the camp with Eagle Lake. You know, this past year, it was like one of those moments where Eagle Lake was like, hey guys, um, you either need to get more kids there or we can't come. And so we scurried and figured out last year to do the Christmas offering to kind of support that and pay for $10,000 of the, the cost of the camp coming in order to reduce the per kid cost. And so we went from, you know, a couple years with like 60 to 80 kids to bumping up to 150 kids, the max, and maybe we squeezed a few more kids in there as well. And it was great because we extended the reach out into the neighborhood to these kids who were not necessarily connected to church, but now had an opportunity to connect with God, to hear the good news of Jesus in a very compelling way. Um, at last, the most fun, this past Sunday, if you were here for Christmas Eve, Super fun to have three services, um, even on Easter. If you remember way, way, way back then, we had three services on Easter. And just the effort to extend the reach to invite people. And so with those services, we had like 650 people last week, which is amazing and incredible. And we're very thankful for what God has been doing here at Platte Park Church. So now, 2018, what's next? Every year when we've asked what's next, um, we often have looked at a quality that we need to work on, you know, we need to look at how we can build capacity or, you know, do some basic functions of church and make sure we're doing all those things. And that's kind of been our theme of what do we need to do to just be a good, healthy church. Well, now, moving away from some of the qualities of church, this year I want us to look more at a character quality or a characteristic of being a church. So, to, meet, to have character means that we aren't just running great programs or we are Um, you know, giving a good brand image to the neighborhood. But having character means we are connected to God, who he is and what he wants. We're following him, and he is a part of what we're doing. And we have character in that. So the word for 2018 
which I actually said this back in December, so some of you already know this, is ridiculous love. Ridiculous love, so nice. Actually, ridiculous needs a little bit of definition, doesn't it? Um, because ridiculous needs clarification. Because ridiculous, um, the way I'm thinking about ridiculous love is the ridiculous love of God that he has this abundant love. He lavishes it on us. He just lets it flow freely. There's nothing holding God back in his love. You know, it's this kind of love that God demonstrates toward us and that some people then kind of criticize or say, God, that's too much. Or why would you do that? That's a waste. That's where the ridiculous comes in. You know, God's ridiculous love can be heard in these statements when you, when you hear people talking about someone and they say, oh, just give up on that guy. He's a total loser. He's just a waste of time. You know, there's nothing going to good kind of come out of him. And it's exactly that loser, <laughs> that person that God is going to persevere in loving. You know, and maybe it's a terrible person. You know, think about somebody who just does horrible things to other people. And I'm sure we can make a list easily of that kind of person that we know about. But yes, their actions and behaviors, their kind of grabs for power and the things they do, their attitudes, there's probably justice system consequences that need to happen. But apart from that, God still loves and is pursuing that person with love. And that's ridiculous. We look down and we say, God, why would you love that person? So you can just fill in the blank with the person in your life who you just think is too far beyond God's love, too far gone. And that person is an example of God's ridiculous love. So ridiculous love is this characteristic of God, and it's something that we want to have as individuals and as a community. We want it to be core to our being. And what makes God's love ridiculous is that God is just lavishing his love on people who don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And that's why we might scoff at it. We might question God, what are you thinking to give that kind of love to that kind of person? You know, the definition of ridiculous is something deserving mockery or something worthy of ridicule. You know, some of the options we could have chose instead of ridiculous for, you know, our theme this year is we could have said cockamamie, like cockamamie love or ludicrous love or preposterous love, nonsensical love, nutty love, moronic love, silly love, foolish love. All these things are kind of the sense of what it means to be ridiculous because we ask, God, why would you waste your love? on a totally unworthy person. It's ridiculous. It seems foolish. It's a terrible return on investment. And yet, God in his great love lavishes his love on us and makes us his children. So ridiculous love is when God sent his son as a baby to the earth. God sent his son to grow and develop and to become a man and to teach us the ways of God, to show us what the kingdom of God is like. And then, of course, for that son, Jesus, to go to the cross, to die, to pay a penalty for sin that we couldn't pay, but he could pay for us. And then to be raised back to life and thus giving us new life. 
You know, around here we often say that on the one hand, we are so far lost that we can't even dare to imagine it, and we need a Savior. And on the other hand, we are so imaginably, unimaginably loved that we just can't even begin to hope for that kind of love. And that is held together in what God did, that we were so far lost, but Jesus came to reach out to us. We were so loved by him that he was compelled to do it. You know, the truth is that we are all lost. We all begin this life as sinners, fallen and separated from God. And yet God doesn't leave us there. You know, we might like to put ourselves, instead of thinking about being lost, we might like to think ourselves more on a scale of how bad we are. You know, if I compare myself to other people, I'm pretty good. So I'm measuring up that way. But the reality is we were all lost, and we all needed a Savior. We had a penalty we could not pay, and Jesus paid it completely and fully and gives us this new and full life. So while we are lost, God in his love reached out to pull us in and to lavish it on us. To all who believe in him, God just welcomes into the family. Well, here's how Paul writes about this in his letter to the Ephesian church. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. There it is. We are so far lost. We can't even dare imagine that. And then it comes the other hand, but. But because of his great love, because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's such a beautiful picture of both those sides coming together, that we are recipients of God's love. And it was ridiculous for God to lavish it on you. It was ridiculous for God to lavish it on me. But now our buckets are overflowing with love, and we have the opportunity to just lavish it on people around us. That is what we get to do. And I want for Platte Park Church to be known for ridiculous love. You know, you hear about churches sometimes that are stingy or uptight. Sometimes you hear about churches that are flaky. You know, they talk a good game, but they just don't act or do anything about it. Maybe you hear about churches that are so focused on themselves that they just don't lift their heads to look at the world around them to see that there are people who need the love of God. I want to be like those churches. I want to be a church where people think of us and they think about ridiculous love. So one place that ridiculous love, I think, is already happening, and I hope that we can continue this and grow this, is that when you look down any particular pew and ask any particular question of, you know, hot topic or political interest, you might get a whole bunch of different answers that are all in conflict with each other. Just down one single pew. I mean, look at the Navarro family alone. Just kidding. But you just think about the differences that we all have in what we think, how we view the world, how it works. And yet here we are gathered because of ridiculous love. And that's not easy. It would be way easier 
to just go gather with a bunch of people who think like you, who agree with you. It's way harder to gather with people who have a different political affiliation. Scandalous. It's way harder to cross over the normal lines of division and separation, the categories that we have, the classes, the groupings. It takes ridiculous love to cross over and to say to someone, hey, God loves me, God loves you, we can work this out together. And that kind of ridiculous love that crosses over, it's that ridiculous love that we apply to the brokenness that's in our world, to the mess and to the ugliness, the discord that we are living in. You know, when we step out and say, God loves me, God loves you, let's work this out together, we are engaging God's ridiculous love. And again, this might seem very simple in theory, but it's way more difficult when the emotions and the tempers rise, when the kind of harsh words bubble into your mind and maybe spill out your mouth. You know, that is exactly the moments when your temperature is rising that ridiculous love is needed. And that's the place I want us to be, a place of grace, where we are seeing people in process, where we're figuring things out together, that even if you think you have the right answer, I can still get along with you if I have a different answer. But applying grace and love to our relationships and sending that out to wherever we go out throughout the week. Well, in wrapping up Advent, we have two last Christmas characters that we have to talk about this morning. Um, Herod and the Magi. I'm going to invite them into our home and have a conversation with them. But as you think about Herod, maybe you were like me and you're immediately thinking, Herod, I don't want that guy in my house. He is awful, disgusting, terrible. Let's keep him away. But the Magi, they are super fascinating. I want to know more about them. I'm super intrigued by them. I want to, like, have them in my home and invite them in. Well, that's kind of playing my cards very openly to express that I'm not giving ridiculous love to Herod. I'm not (laughs) believing that he is a potential participant in ridiculous love. Instead, I'd like to remove and withhold my love toward him. But isn't that fascinating that right out of the gate, Ridiculous love is extending favor to people that we may not favor. You know, it's easy to give favor to the people that we already favor, but the people that we don't like, people that are different, people who are hard, those are the ones we want to withhold our favor and just avoid altogether. But since this is ridiculous love, we will talk a little bit about Herod today. Well, let's begin with the Magi because they are more fun. The Magi following a star. It's like this great miracle of Christmas. Here's the star that rises, and they see it, and they respond. What always stands out to me is how amazing it is that the Magi get this message in the sky and respond. They, They get up and go and follow it. Isn't it amazing? Here they are. They are distant and far away from God. They are in a different country, they have a different culture, they have a different religion, and yet they're looking at the stars and they notice, whoa, this something's happening, and they respond. That is amazing, and I love that about the Magi. It's an example of God's ridiculous love that the people who are super far, far away, 
God is sending a message to you and inviting them in. So if you ever think there's somebody who is way beyond God's love, you can just remember the Magi who were far away in a different country, in a different religious system, and God sent a message to communicate with them. You know, I wonder what the Magi were actually thinking. You know, the text says that we saw his star when it rose and come to worship him. But how was it when they left their home country? You know, what did people say when they said, you know, we've seen a star rise and we're going to go find this baby in our enemy territory land? I imagine people said, that's ridiculous. What are you thinking? Just stay home. It'll be easier. But instead, they got up and they went and they followed this star. They pursued the mystery. I just love how obscure it is that God sends a message in the sky and they catch on. It's just amazing that they caught that and they followed it and they did something. And it makes me wonder, even for today, in our own lives, what is God still trying to communicate, trying to reach out to us with? That if we have our eyes open to see, if we're looking, we're searching, and we are then willing to get up and go, what is God trying to communicate with us? All right, Herod. Try to have some ridiculous love toward Herod, but the only ridiculous love that is related to Herod is that Herod has ridiculous love for himself. That is pretty clear. I had the great opportunity this summer to go to Israel, um, and if you've toured around Israel, you know that every day you just see another place that Herod built, a palace, the temple, these things. Herod did amazing, ridiculous things all to his own glory. You know, it's interesting. There's one palace that Herod built that literally the location of the mount that he wanted to build it on, you couldn't see the temple from there. So Herod just moved the mountain over. Crazy to think that he just moved it over and then built his palace on top so he could see the temple. That's the kind of guy Herod was. You know, Herod's ridiculous love for himself meant that any threat he would just eliminate, which meant he killed his wives, he killed his own children, he killed seemingly anybody who just looked funny at him or threatened him in any way. He, by power and force, established himself. It's crazy, because I think in some ways, God almost put Herod there to lift him up in juxtaposition to who Jesus was. You know, here's Herod making it on his own by power and force. And what happens for Jesus? Jesus arrives as this innocent baby. Jesus arrives and does only what he sees his father telling him to do. He's in obedience to his father. And he's creating and showing the kingdom of God in a totally different way than what Herod did. You know, did you notice Herod's response when the Magi arrived in town? You know, Magi come to town, and here's what it says. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. What's fascinating is, and all of Jerusalem with him. And of course, it's good to be disturbed um, when there's political things at stake. I mean, the reality for Herod is, here's a baby that's being born that's going to be king of the Jews. That's a threat to his kingdom and his role and his place. But also, 
This is Rome and Roman territory that we're talking about. And the Magi are coming from the enemy territory empire, coming in. This could incite a war. Nobody wants this. Herod does not want this. Herod wants to keep the peace. So this is a huge threat to Herod. But beyond these very practical reasons for Herod to be disturbed, I think when God's ridiculous love shows up, it's very common that we respond by being disturbed. You know, we're disturbed because this doesn't fit in the normal ways, normal patterns of life. You know, it's unsettling the natural order of things. You know, it's disrupting the power structures that we all know and accept and live in. And what's fascinating to think is that here's Herod. The Magi come, say, hey, this baby is born. It's the Messiah. Herod has the opportunity right in front of him to say, okay, I'm going to get on board with God, and I'm going to join his train, and I'm going to go with him. He could have went down that path, but he didn't. He continued on his self-aggrandizement plans. So that's why the Magi and Herod are such opposite poles on the spectrum. You know, here's Herod. He's in Israel. He has all the opportunity to hear and to receive and accept the message that the Messiah has arrived. And yet he doesn't. He refuses to. And in contrast, you have the Magi, who are a super far away land, having to read messages in stars, so obscure, so difficult, and yet they get the message, and they respond, they get up, and they go on a journey in pursuit to find this baby. What two contrasting groups of people. And as I think about my life, my faith, my walk with God, figuring these things out, I want to be way more like the Magi and way less like Herod. Well, circling back to Gil's dad, uh, that was definitely one of my moments in life where my pastor job and my real estate job, like, intertwined. Because as I got to pray with Gil's dad and talk to him and encourage him and say, it doesn't, doesn't matter about the car or Gil's job. You can't explain the tragedy. You just have to live into this moment right now. I was setting a course for my 2017 that would be different because of my interaction with his dad. To think that, ah, I want to live a life as best I can without regret. You know, I want to live with ridiculous love, even if people think I'm foolish. I want to do things that God calls me to, even if people say that's silly. You know, we all have one life to live. And that one life might as well be spent just with ridiculous love. Well, what does it look like for Platt Park Church in 2018 to have ridiculous love? I think this is going to be a question and a, and a theme as we plan and as we talk and discuss and as we assess, should we do this or should we do that? Should we stop doing that? This question of wanting ridiculous love to flow throughout everything we do around here. I'd like to invite the band up um, because I want us to also take a little moment to pause before we begin 2018 ourselves. You know, to think about what does it mean for you and your church to pursue ridiculous love? 
but also the question of what does it mean for you in your life to pursue God's ridiculous love? So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to pause, and you can just think about your 2018 ahead, ridiculous love in your life. Maybe think about somebody you need to talk to, something you need to do, maybe something you need to let go of. But what does ridiculous love look like for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come to you at the end of 2017, looking back and reflecting on all that happened. We just trust, God, that you've closed that chapter. And now you're taking us into 2018 with new hope, new anticipation, new expectation. God, I hope that you open our hearts to whatever you have for us. Help us to consider right now what you want us to do with your ridiculous love in 2018. to you. Show us your ways that we would follow you into that. Lead us by your grace to express your ridiculous love. That we'd receive it from you and pour it back out to everybody around us. God, give us courage to do the things that you call us to. God, I pray that you would change our lives and change the world around us because of what you do. May your power be present and evident everywhere we go. God, bless us as we head into 2018. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.